Hello, welcome to Moms Changing the World. This is your host, Akua Walker, Child Development Nurse Practitioner and CEO, Chief Encouragement Officer, introducing the new podcast, which is the place for moms to find encouragement, hope, and inspiration, where we're supporting moms in the trenches of motherhood. You will receive practical tips and strategies to address the developmental needs of your children with a positive parenting perspective in mind. Here at Moms Changing the World, we are moms on the journey of changing the world, one child at a time, one day at a time. Hello. Welcome, Akua Walker here, Child Development Nurse Practitioner and CEO, Chief Encouragement Officer here at Moms Changing the World. Excited to bring you another wonderful episode with author, educator, and advocate, Janae Brown Wood. I opened my episodes with an African proverb since I'm originally from Ghana. I like bringing that inspiration to the conversation that we will have. And so today, because Janae Brownwood's first book, Amani's Moon, has a lovely quote, we're going to use that as the inspiration. It goes, A challenge is only impossible until someone accomplishes it, Mama said. Amani, it is only you who must believe. And I'll say that again. A challenge is only impossible until someone accomplishes it, Mama said. Amani, it is only you who must believe. So with that, you know, I love that it just reminds us that sometimes we think impossible dreams and impossible things are so far out of reach. And if we think about major things that we as people have, you know, come to experience or have invented, like being able to fly across the country whenever we want to, or being able to actually take a trip, you know, up to the moon as astronauts have done, we realize that the impossible is only impossible until the creativity and the ingenuity and the collaboration of amazing people make it a reality. So welcome, Janae. I'm so glad to have you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm so excited to be here. Wonderful, wonderful. Let me tell uh, the audience a little bit about you. So uh, Janae Brownwood is a PhD and is an award-winning author, educator, and scholar. Currently, she is an assistant professor at California State University, Sacramento, in the Child Development Department, where she teaches and conducts research. Janae's research investigates how the lack of diversity in children's literature affects young learners and their academic outcomes, especially focusing on how diversity on book covers influence book preferences. I'll let her tell you about her family in just a little bit, but her children's book, Amani's Moon, which I quoted from this morning, won the NAESP Children's Book of the Year Award, is a Northern California ACL Distinguished Book, as well as a New York City Reads 365 pick, and the RIF Multicultural Book. Her second book, Grandma's Tiny House, A Counting Story, received a star review from Publishers Weekly, is a Bank Street Books Best Book of 2018, and won the CELI Read Aloud Book Award through the University of Mississippi. And there's more books coming. So, Janae, why don't you tell us a little bit about your family and your kind of your life as a mother now? Absolutely. So, 
I actually am married to my high school sweetheart. We are from, from <laughs> Fresno and we met the first day of high school. Wow. And, um, and so fast forward many, many, many years to now, <laughs> we, we now have one daughter. Her name is Vivian and um, she is three years old and she's just the joy of our lives. <laughs> um, she's just funky. It's funny when she was first born and we were just getting to know her, you know, as an infant. And the term I used for her was, she's spunky. And my husband was like, <laughs> looking at me like, she's an infant. What are you talking about? Talking about. But, but sure enough, nowadays, we're like, y'all, you know, spunky was the right word for her. Um, That's awesome. And so she's, she's just so much fun. And so we have one right now, um, hopefully another in the future. But it's hard to kind of think about that in the midst of a pandemic. Yes, um, all that's going on right now. Yeah. 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 So I, you know, the friend, we have a mutual friend who introduced us. So Mari Gray is uh, a dear friend of ours and you haven't listened to the episodes previously. I did interview her. So look up those wonderful discussions um, where we got to focus on her education focus as a professor in disproportionate discipline and school environments and how all that's going on in our world today has, you know, kind of connects to some of that. But from the time she introduced us and we got a chance to chat, I could tell that, you know, the reason why she connected us is that we have so many things in common. One being that we we love child development and um, another that we're, we're, mom, you know, girl moms. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's so fun to have daughters. Good, good. And so you did bring up that there is a lot going on, you know, in the world right now. And so what is, you know, what does your life look like in a nutshell these days? You know, uh, much different than it did, what, three, four months ago, but with some consistency. So, I mean, one of the things that was difficult about the transition to just being home was that before the pandemic, Fridays was sort of me and Vivian's day. So I would, you know, work through the week and then Friday I could sort of dedicate it to her. And uh, so we would be home together. We would go to the museums or parks. I always tried to think of fun things to do on Fridays to just, you know, and go for experiences. Mm -hmm. And so that meant when she was home with me, like on a Friday, she kind of had undivided attention. And I think she got used to mommy's home, mommy's, you know, attention. And so then when COVID hit and she sees mommy home, but mommy is like, ah, I got to work. I got to work. I think that was an adjustment for her, you know? So I would say um, my, my everyday is I'll wake up and generally my husband and I, we, we have this really great partnership. We just, you know, we, we've been together for, really decades, um, a decade. And so what we do is we kind of split the day. So depending on which day it kind of impacts what that day looks like, but like mm-hmm. a Monday, Wednesday, Friday now, he hangs out with her in the morning while I do work. Mm-hmm. And then we switch in the afternoon. And basically I finish off the day. I feed, you know, give her dinner and bathe her and do the bedtime routine. Um, and then on Tuesday, Thursdays, we're lucky enough to have a support system in my mother-in-law. So she'll go spend the day with my mother-in-law and, you know, get to get out of the house for a moment. 
which then allows for my husband and I to, to, to just work those full days sort of uninterrupted. Mm. So those are what my days look like right now during this, this, I don't know, unprecedented time. The time. Absolutely. Yeah. And meals, you know, I like to start real practical as far as, you know, the go-to meals, you know, how have you been, you know, feeding your crew? Yeah. Um, so for her, she, we're cheese people. Is that a weird thing to say? <laughs> no, people? not That's at okay. all. okay. You know, if I there was a badge that understand. I would proudly wear that cheese people <laughs> badge, but we, we really enjoy cheese. So I think some of our go-to meals often include cheese. Like she, she really likes, you know, quesadillas, some things that are easy to, to put together, put together. quesadillas. Yeah. And then I'll, I'll have like some spinach or Brussels sprouts. I've I've turned on to Brussels sprouts. Which Good I'm for like, you. Yes, mom, mom for the win. <laughs> mom win. <laughs> um, so some of those meals are, are things like that. Some of the, the more basic things. But then I, um, I, while I enjoy cooking, I often do things that are pretty simple, like a protein of some sort. If it's chicken or fish, we did fish this week, salmon. And then again, some kind of vegetable. It could be Brussels sprouts, spinach. It could be uh, broccoli. Uh, asparagus, something like that. Um, and then, you know, some kind of potatoes or rice. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are kind of the go-to. It's it's not necessarily a full meal, but pieces that I can then craft, you know, a meal out right, of. Right. Um, so th- those are the go-to, something with the protein, the veggie, and then, you know, a side. Yeah, yeah. Starting kind of going back to the basics of, you know, the building blocks of a meal can be really helpful just to keep it simple. And some of it you can do ahead of time if you do a big protein. You know, like in our house, my husband will cook a big like a chicken or a roast or something. And then we'll have that, you know, like you said, make a a meal out of through the week. So that's great. Yeah. And to go back to what I was saying with the partnership with me and my husband, we sort of alternate. We we both have a hand in that. Um, And that's something I really enjoy and I'm happy about because Vivian gets to be exposed to, I mean, more than just the sort of traditional roles. She gets to see both of us doing all of this stuff, right? The mm-hmm. cooking, the cleaning, the caring for the house, the um, working. She gets to see all of that. So, Yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah, so did you always want to be a mom? Oh, my gosh, yes. <laughs> yes. Um, I, Another place uh, where we share commonality. <laughs> yeah, uh, I just probably... <laughs> I don't know, for as far back as I can remember, I wanted to be a mom because I always, I always knew I had an affinity for children or just childhood and, and working with kids and playing, you know, I knew that early on. Um, and one of the reasons I would say I, I was able to learn that about myself is because my aunt, Annette, and we call her Nettie, uh, she, ha- she actually still has, but even back then had a, a family child care um, program. And actually that's where I went. So nice. she kept children and helped, and helped raise us. Right. Um, and educated us at that very early age. So I went through her program as, you know, a, a, ch- a child in her program, but then later I would come back and volunteer and help and be mm. around the kids and, you know, play with them, do that kind of stuff. And so I think very early on that helped me realize I kind of like kids. I like hanging out with kids. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, 
then I started to look for other experiences where I had an opportunity to work with kids like coaching basketball or, you know, we had a, I went to Sunnyside high school in Fresno and we had a junior wildcats thing. And so I would work with kids there. Mm. Um, And so I think all of that kind of just let me know how much, again, I enjoyed kids and how I was so excited to one day be able to bring children into the world myself and then mold them in the ways that, you know, I thought were most beneficial and helpful for them as developing people. So Yeah. Yeah. And I love how all those early experiences with other children, whether they're in your family or the daycare center or working, volunteering, all of those prepare you in many ways to be a mom. Oh, they absolutely do. They absolutely do. Um, And they also help to sort of color your experiences with children in such a positive light, you know, because you just have these warm, I don't know, I just have memories of being at my aunt's house and she had this lovely backyard and chasing kids Mm. and swinging them on the swings. And those are just happy, warm feelings that are associated with, you know, being around kids. So you get to kind of carry that into when you become a mother yourself and then expand and create more warm memories, but they're your own. And it's just, oh, it's so um, rewarding and it's just a lovely, lovely feeling. That's awesome. Yeah. So tell me about how you make an impact on children, you know, inside your home and outside of your home. It's, I think in many ways, or at least... I attempt to. Whether or not it making the impact, I don't know, but I attempt to make the impact in many ways. Within the home, I'll start off with that. I think, you know, in partnership with my husband, we are just trying to raise a warm, caring, intelligent being, an empathetic being. And so in the choices that we make and the way we rear her from you know, guiding her behavior if she's doing something that we consider inappropriate to the way that we interact with each other in a warm way. All of these are modeling for her how to interact with others. And so then the hope is she gets that in home and she goes out into the real world or uh, to the outside world and is able to do some of those things that she's she's um, seen with us, right? And so within the home, I feel like we're helping to set up this environment so she can go out and be that same compassionate, empathetic child outside of the home. Now, for me outside of the home, the things that I do, um, I, as an educator, I engage in research. Well, I should say as a scholar, I engage in research. And so, as I said, a lot of my research is looking at the lack of diversity in children's books and how it might influence things like academic outcomes. I know what brought me, other than my, my affinity for children and child development, what else brought me to the field of child development and early childhood education was when I was at UCLA in undergrad, and I learned about the academic achievement gap. And I learned about this sort of how brown and black babies are doing worse. And I'm saying babies kind of in a general term, children, right? right. right? Students are doing worse than their white and even Asian counterparts when it comes to academics, um, like reading and and mathematics. And so I remember learning about that and, and learning how, you know, you have this gap and it just expands, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And so this is ultimately going to influence, you know, their future prospects. And I remember learning about that early on and being like, what, what are we doing about this? 
And I think that is what put me on this trajectory of not just working with with children, but teaching others about children, learning how children develop so that I could support them. And so then the tendrils of that, going back to what I was saying as an educator and as a scholar, as a scholar, it's emerged in me thinking, well, you know, if we're talking about literacy skills, children like to see themselves in books and you have to think about things that motivate them to read. And so to me, diversity, if you can find yourself in a book, it makes sense that maybe you'll be more likely to engage in that book. So that's what led me to think about, well, you know, if children are seeing diversity, how is this going to influence their interest in even reading at all, right? And so then for going down sort of the educator path, thinking about ways to help my students, one, understand how children develop, but doing it through this lens of now you know, how can you support it? And so something I like to do in my class is my classes is just give them opportunities to apply or to it's more than just the content knowledge. You know, this means this and this is this. But can you identify it in children? And when you do identify it, can you help support it? Um, So I I think that's really the way that I try to um, come at the work that I do as an educator teach, but then teach so that they can support children and help um, children develop to their full potentials. So that's kind of some of the work I do as a scholar and as an educator, but also as an advocate, you know, I'm doing some work with relation to the, the literacy scores, not just in Sacramento, but really across the country. Um, we, we actually do pretty poorly. Uh, let me just say we could do better as a nation with relation to literacy skills and children's abilities to read um, because a large portion of kids, when we're looking at their, their reading scores, they're not even proficient. They don't even reach proficiency. So they're below proficient and basic for literacy skills, you know? And, and I mean, Echo, think about if you weren't able to read, what, how much that will thwart your potential. I mean, how much we engage in just the written world on a day-to-day basis from checking texts to driving and understanding, you know, S-T-O-P means stop. It's just literacy is such an important piece of fabric of, you know, our, our nation, um, especially our education. So if we have so many children who are struggling with literacy, there's a problem. So that's another way I try to impact children is advocating, understanding literacy, again, through this lens of now how do we support it to improve it? Um, And then I know this is a super long answer, I apologize, but this other piece is then through literacy and through children's books is another way that I impact children. Um, I write books. I try to write diverse books so children can find themselves in the pages. Because I think about myself as a young child, I didn't like reading. I actually despised reading. I was like, you want me to read what? And I don't know if it was because I couldn't find myself in the books. I remember being in middle school and having to read a novel and I was looking for books that might be of interest and I couldn't really, I just, nothing was whetting my appetite. And then I remember I saw one that had a, had black children. It was, I think, Roll of Thunder, Hear My Cry, which is, you know, a wonderful book, but 
it didn't, it, it's more sort of historical fiction and it just, it wasn't what I was looking for. And so I guess what I was, what I'm saying is the only books that I really could find myself in were ones that were sort of steeped in history and things that didn't really interest me. So I often wonder if those are some of the reasons why I did not like reading as a kid. But even though I didn't like reading, I loved writing. So what I was doing was writing my own stories. I was writing there my own go. novels. And in some of them, I was the protagonist. I remember I, was, I wrote a, a novel, Detective Janae Brown. I was saving the day. <laughs> there you go. That's what I did. Um, That's awesome. And so literacy, you know, I want children to not have to worry about that. That they can walk into, I don't know, Barnes and Noble and see something like Grandma's tiny house with this little black face and natural hair and be like, oh my gosh, I want to read that one. So yeah. um, through my through my children's books, writing books with diverse characters, but trying not to center it on race, if that makes sense. Trying instead of, to just write stories of black kids being black kids, and it doesn't um, necessarily have to have something like civil rights or race-related topics. Not to say those aren't important, because they are, but as my voice as an author, um, trying to just have Black kids being Black kids, existing in America with love and with family, um, that's, that's another way I try to impact children. That's great. And I love that you were able to find a way to bring together, you know, your love of children and you know, being around children, working with children to, um, you know, translate that to be an educator and educating the future educators who will be, you know, impacting children and, and not only on the kind of mechanics of teaching, but also on understanding like what's going on in the child as they're growing and developing. And then when you saw a gaps and, um, things that were missing as far as the, the diversity in the literature, you know, you're also doing something about it by creating children's literature. <laughs> trying, trying to. It's really interesting yeah. how all of these passions of mine have converged. But I'm so happy that they have because I just, as I'm doing this work, I feel so fulfilled in it because it's just all of these things that are so important to me. I'm actively doing things to make up a difference to make it better to make a change so it's exciting that's wonderful that's wonderful and you were doing this work you know before you became a mom so I'm curious you know how has you know becoming a mom um, impacted you know your work and your advocacy and your approach to all this work you know I think what it's done is, I think motherhood has sort of amplified how dire this is and how important this work is for a better future for Vivian, right? Absolutely. For a uh, warmer, more accepting, I don't know, just, j just a better future, you know? She deserves it. Children deserve it. And the yeah. hope is, you know, each generation brings something new and moves us forward, and then the next generation brings something new and moves us forward, and and I really, truly, deep down in my heart, believe that a lot of this can be supported with literature, especially diverse books, because then children can start to hear experiences of others, also see their own experiences, be able to determine, wow, look how we're different, but also be able to say, but look how we're the same. Um, 
And so I, motherhood has just made me want to work harder for this, work harder so that we have a, a more compassionate and accepting and a fewer prejudices and biases in the future generations so that, you know, we can, again, continue to move forward in a positive direction as a nation, but also globally as a, as a world. Yeah, these are all such important um, ideas. And like you said, having children um, who are the future, you know, right here, right now in our homes, um, in our schools, um, in our communities, you know, they, they need to see themselves reflected, you know, in beautiful and wonderful ways. And we need to talk about some of these issues in, 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 you know, in ways that are child-friendly or kid-friendly. So Absolutely. I'm you know, curious, how, how do you talk to your children, uh, your daughter, about empathy, kindness? Um, and how do you kind of address some of these issues going on during 2020, where yeah. we're having this kind of racial awakening and these new conversations that some of us have been having all along, but right. it's at another level and more people are, in, are involved and there is more urgency, like you mentioned. You know, how do you yeah. talk to your daughter about this? I'm in an interesting I'm in an interesting place for a few reasons. One is um as a you know child development educator early childhood educator uh i'm I'm not a big fan of screen time <laughs> I'm not a big fan of screen time um I actually had to let go a little bit right and um because you cannot control everything but um I bring this up because that means that it's I limit the amount of exposure she has to screens and what's on the screens so she's not necessarily seeing all of the unrest happening in front of her because I limit what she's able to watch right but one of the big things that we do is we do have these dialogues. We have discussions. If she has questions about things, my husband and I try to be pretty forthright and candid, but in a developmentally appropriate way. I think that's the most important piece. Understanding where she is and then making sure I'm answering in a way that she can understand and that is, is appropriate for her age level. Now, that's not to say I, we don't engage in challenging discussions and, and conversations we do. But I also have to remember she's three. She doesn't fully understand some of these things. Some of these topics can kind of be scary. So I want to make sure I'm doing it again, like in a a way that's authentic, but appropriate for her level. And then as she asks questions, we answer them again, like I said, candidly. And then I also, here we go again with literacy find ways to help support those conversations with books. Right. I was going to um, ask, how can books help? Yeah. I, I'm going to give you an example. It's not necessarily related to some of the racial tensions and everything, but just as an example of like, look mm-hmm. how books can help. Yeah. Um, Neowise, right? The Comet. Yeah. That was just, I think, well, earlier this week, last week, Neowise was in the sky. And yes. my husband and I, with Vivian and Toe, were like on a mission to find <laughs> this comet. So we drove out to like Mather Field. We were driving all over the place trying to find this comet. And um, finally, <laughs> it's funny, three days later, <laughs> uh, we just decided we're going to just try it outside of our house. And we got binoculars mm-hmm. and we found that comet. <laughs> 
that's but I bring it up because you know Vivian was a part of all of that, and there's this book that came out. It's called Rocket Says Look Up, and I wish I I have the book, but I don't have it in front of me. But you got to look at this book. It's this little black girl. She's got these two puffs, one in the front, one in the back, <laughs> cornrowed hair. She's wearing, if I remember this correctly, she's wearing this orange astronaut suit because she is interested in space. And the book mm-hmm. is about her telling her community about this meteor shower that's going to be happening. And mm-hmm. like, we got to go see it and, and engage in the community and science and space, right? I so I bring that up because here we are chasing this comment, talking about comment. Vivian loves space anyway. And then I pull out this book, look up, and we're reading about a character doing some very similar things. And that character looks just like Vivian, right? That's beautiful. So it's, again, this mirror, but it's also science. And it's also connected to experiences that we're setting Having up in, for her mm-hmm. uh-huh. in real life. Um, and that's what books can do. And you can yeah. do that same sort of thing around challenging topics like race. Um, yeah, it's, that's great. And, you know, I think sometimes we, we, we've definitely, I think, gotten into a habit for most cultures or most, um, you know, parents, many are reading at bedtime or, you know, having a time set aside where they're reading books, you know, to and with their children. And so that can be just an amazing opportunity, like you said, to, to pull out some themes or to pull out books with, you know, different kinds of children on there and ask your kids, you know, what they notice and, you know, what they can relate to. And to add to what you just said there, when you're, when you're setting up these bedtime routines or these routines around literacy, you're setting up family literacy practices. You're showing literacy books are important. Um, You're modeling it for the child. I know I keep talking about modeling, but I just think that's so, it's an important piece of parenting right? So, so you're already telling your, your child early on literature, literacy is important. It's so important that we find time every day to engage in it in a meaningful way and talk about setting up lovers of reading, lovers of books. It, it starts early. That's great. And that's a a good reminder, I think, no matter what age your children are, um, from when they're, you know, newborn, you know, I remember reading to, you know, my newborn girls and my little ones. And although they weren't necessarily able to like understand what was going on, but, you know, but they could maybe enjoy a picture or they, they just love to hear your voice. Right. So hearing language and language and oftentimes books have a different rhythm or a different pattern to them. And so even, uh, the newest of babies can appreciate, you know, the storytelling all the way, you know, through to the, the preschool years. And it's such a wonderful, fun time to have them, you know, start to talk about what they see in the pictures and Absolutely. what they like the best. And they can start putting their, coming up with their own stories and their own interpretation, you know, based on what they see. Absolutely. And I mean, I'm going to take it uh, even deeper when we're talking about infants and newborns hearing this that language that they're hearing is is establishing brain networks so it's not only are they appreciating appreciating it but their brains are now being built with these networks related to these experiences related to the language they're hearing and all of those things are are what are setting the foundation for later learning for later language for later literacy and engaging with others so it's it's fun but it's so important for their brain development. 
It is. It is. And I have school-age children. So my youngest is six now and my um, daughter, older daughter just, just turned 10. And so in the school-age years, you know, now they're learning to read readers themselves. And it's a, it's a beautiful but sometimes challenging journey, right? Because it doesn't always come naturally or easily to them. So, you know, do you have any you know, advice for children who may may easily fall into reading and pick up reading on their own or those who might be struggling and what parents can do to support them? This is such an important question for me because it goes back to when I answered about advocacy and literacy. Um, it's I'm not going to get into all of the politics, <laughs> but it actually turns out that um, literacy instruction is, is pretty um, contentious. So I think if I were to give advice about what to do if you have children who are struggling um, with reading, I think first what you want to do is determine the why. Like what is it about the reading that's difficult? Because it might come down to something as um, something like decoding. They're struggling with breaking down the words, right? Uh, Breaking them down to be able to then read them. It might be something like that. So like, what is it that is making it difficult for the child to engage with this? Or it might be, it it might go back to like me, who I could read fine, but I didn't like to because I, you know, perhaps it's because I didn't have books of interest. So that could be something. What is your child interested in? Now, can you find some books at the reading level that has those topics, because what you're doing, again, you're giving them more and more practice with reading. Um, and then uh, some, some other things I would say is just keep at it. Keep at it. Uh, look for small successes to get excited about and make them, you know, feel like the king of the world with each of those successes because that helps to build some of that confidence as, um, as their reading skills are, are improving and, and progressing. And then just having patience. But I also think having some conversations about struggles. I mean, kind of naming, sometimes naming it for what it is, you know. Sometimes we have to do things that are very difficult, that we have to work at a little bit more. But does that mean we stop? No. We keep working at it. And I think about my book, Imani's Moon, right? My book, Imani's Moon, is about perseverance. In the story, she's teased and, you know, her self-esteem is impacted, and, but she's got this warm, loving mother who continues to pick her up, actually using stories to, to pick her up. And she sets, you know, this impossible task. And she, can, she fails over and over and over and over again. But she does not stop. And then she reaches that goal. And so I think having discussions about perseverance is important too. And maybe even sometimes sharing, again, you know, developmentally appropriate experiences that you've had with, with struggles in, in something that you tried to do and be like, you know what, sometimes mommy tries to do this and it's hard. And sometimes she wants to give up, but she does not. She does not give up. And, and then give them strategies. Like, so first, maybe she'll put it down. And she'll take a walk really quickly and then come back and try again, like offering them some strategies to help them overcome these challenges with, again, this thought of like, but don't give up. Keep working at it. 
So those are some things I think I would would say with relation to reading and literacy um, to help support that that budding reader. Wonderful, wonderful. And from the nurse practitioner perspective that I come to development with, I would yeah just echo everything that you just said. I love and those are you know great reminders to keep at it to celebrate and do that positive reinforcement Mm. Um, and then to have conversations and some of those conversations might lead you to you know talking with the teacher um, uh, your child's teacher about what and how they're learning and then also to the child's doctor or nurse practitioner um, because the you know the health environment is set up for your whole child's success, your child's whole success. And sometimes families don't think about how um, the, the kind of medical system or their medical insurance or their healthcare could help. And so in my work, you know, I, I get to help partner with families to take a, a look at the whys that you brought up. Um, yeah. And we try to do conversations and assessments that help clarify and pinpoint. So I would just encourage parents to not forget that there's other people that you can turn to that may help and may actually help be able to pinpoint because some of the whys could be about attention and focus. Um, You know, ADHD can be a common why Mm -hmm. that's interfering with a child's ability to um, really engage and stay engaged with interesting stories, even that they they want to, to learn and read from. And Thank you so much for saying that because I, I completely agree about that. That whole child looking across all of these things of like, what could it be? And then, and when we come to supporting, especially de- depending on the age of the child, it's a team. It really yeah. is a team to help support. So I, thank you for bringing that up. I really appreciated that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes, so thank you exactly. for those reminders. Yeah, uh, my pleasure. Yeah. Good, good, great. All right. That was part one of our two-part episode with Janae Brownwood. Please make sure to turn in to part two. And we did a bonus episode where we discuss our book recommendations for children's books full of rich and practical opportunities to talk about diversity, kindness, and values that we want to pass on to our children. If they're interested in learning more about me, I've got a website. It's just www.janaebrownwood.com. I'm on Twitter. I'm not on Facebook at the moment, but I will be back on Facebook. And so if they're interested in knowing more about me and my work, I mean, reach out. Thanks for listening to Moms Changing the World with host Akua Walker. The information shared on this show is meant for educational purposes only and not intended as a substitute for medical intervention or professional therapy. All views shared on the show are that of the speakers only and do not represent any institution. To be a part of the community, visit www.momschangingtheworld.org. There you'll find ways to connect with and support the moms we interview. Join us next time for more encouragement and support to be a mom changing the world, one child at a time, one day at a time. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. Thanks for listening.